Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, I'm going to say it. It's going to make you angry, but I'm going to say it. Rolling Stones are better than the Beatles. There, I said it. I said it. And I mean it. Look at them. They're going crazy in the control. And Julia's going to throw something at me if the glass wasn't there. Um, all right. Enough of my music mind. Uh, let's talk about gas prices. This is something we all can agree on. Gas prices are going way through the roof once again. We have a mixture of gasoline we use at this time of year that is much more expensive. And so it is made, I believe it's mixed in California. That's where we get the majority of our fuel. But it's because of our air quality in Arizona. We go much higher than the federal minimum requirements. Now, I'm not calling it good or bad. I'll tell you when I think of something as good or bad. I'm now just giving you the information. We do much more than the federal government requires. Now, you mirror that with a story that says I'm going to read the headline to you about ozone and what it Phoenix ozone pollution will soon cause economic headaches. The air quality in Arizona is poor by by sta- I mean, over national standards. And a lot of it has to do because we live in a dust bowl. You know, when the, the, the dust storms crush us when it comes to the air. Um, I don't agree. I'll tell you one of the things I think is wrong. I ranted about this before and I won't spend a lot of time on it. Um, I, last time I talked about this, I talked about the burn, the no burn days that we get every year. And I think it's every year. What a miracle that the air quality in Arizona just happens to cross the threshold of so bad you can't have a fire in your house on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. Isn't it a miracle that it just happens to fall on those couple of days? Um, All of us want clean air. I don't mock people with asthma. I think it being, you know, I have very, my voice right now is a little raspy. I have really bad allergies and I'm allergic to antihistamines, which means I cannot take allergy medicine. So my life is miserable during allergy season. I certainly have a fee, I have a, I feel for asthmatics. I have no, it's not like I'm making fun of people, but there are things that happen that are necessary. And there are things that happen as a matter of policy. The Biden administration and a billion and a half dollars toward clean hydrogen. This assault on gas stoves that's happening Um, up until this Willow project, the assault on drilling and exploration with the oil companies. People want to say and they they refuse to have the argument about uh, just a conversation about what's been happening. And so right away when you talk, well, there's 9,000 oil leases. Well, they quietly said that that was wrong, that they, they were wrong in the way they said that. But let's talk about reality. The oil companies, I don't have to defend them. I don't want to defend them. They are billionaires, multi-billionaires. Wish I was. I, they are. I'm not. But to say that the very same oil companies that sold you gasoline – and diesel fuel, but let's go with just gasoline for under $3 a gallon for the four years of the Trump administration are now the same oil companies that are have you over a barrel and are charging you outrageous amounts of money. And there's been no shift other than the fact that they just arbitrarily decided that they were going to rake you over the coals financially. It's It's absurd. Or or then you go the other route where they just did they just know better than the cross Trump that he would have gone after him? Because if you think about it, it wasn't because he was friendly to the oil companies, because if you're friendly to the oil companies, you're president when they're making obscene profits. 
setting up battle lines and making people the enemy is my, what I say is the problem in our government. I can disagree with you. I'm having a disagreement with somebody. I think she's a teacher online about my stance on the hotline for teachers. And you're ne- you've never been a teacher. Your point of view, like my point of view doesn't count because I've never been a teacher. And I said, well, hang on a minute. You've never been a radio host, but you've got an opinion about how I do my show. We all are entitled to our opinions. I make my opinions based on my conversations with people that are in the industry. But I'm not demonizing this woman. She has a right to her opinion. I disagree with her. I can call her wrong without insinuating that she's dumb or evil. And I would expect that somebody would do the same for me. You can disagree with the oil companies without demonizing them. The president of the United States has gone after private industry because they have too much of the American taxpayer's money, and yet he's advocating for the federal government taking more money out of the general public. The number one issue for this administration is climate change. Billions of dollars on this, billions of dollars on that. We have to do this or we're going to die. The world's coming to an end. We want the rest of the world to work with us and we're going to lead by example and we're going to spend your tax dollars to do it. And there are many people that believe this is exactly the way the world needs to operate. I respect that. But then you have to at least acknowledge that these policies are costing working families. Do you believe that working families in America agree with you? That it is what what they need to do by paying so much more money for food and so much more money for fuel to save the planet. And if you say it has nothing to do with the price of food, it absolutely does. The equipment that's used to harvest the crops is fueled by diesel in most cases. The trucks that are used to transport, the ships that are used to transport those goods from the field to the markets that end up on your table are fueled by diesel fuel, largely. When the cost of that goes up, the cost of everything goes up. And and so we have to acknowledge the cause and effect of things. Good or bad, there are plenty of people out there. I know people that think that the environmental policies of this administration are necessary immediately and need to be stronger because the president of the United States just um, authorized the Willow Project in Alaska for drilling and exploration in Alaska. And the environmentalists that are attached to this administration lost their minds because they believe the planet is on. On its way to self-destruction because man-made climate change is going to ruin everything. You have a right to believe that way, but you at least have to acknowledge that the policies of this administration are part of the reason why we're seeing these prices. And it wasn't just this administration because the fuel uh, mixture that we use was not put in place by this administration. This has been going on for a very long time. So how would you feel? This is a good way to end this with a question. How would you feel, knowing what you know about the air quality in Arizona, how would you feel if regulators said, you know what we're going to do is we're going to back off this mixture, that we are not going to go this far above the national standard, the federal regulation standard. We're going to back it off a little bit to make our fuel prices this time of year a little bit cheaper for people. Would you be in favor of it or would you say, no, but it's about right where it is? Even though we're paying more, it is doing a service to the planet. It's a great question. And there's the politics. Now we have a political argument 
that isn't based in partisan rock throwing across two sides of the street. It's laying out the either or. Here's your choice. You can either keep prices high like they are this time of year, mixing the fuel the way we do, or we can change the way we do it. It may change the air quality for the worse a little bit. It's still within federal standards and regulations, and we can have a little bit cheaper gas. Now, what do you think? That's really a a more civil way to operate this instead of demonizing anybody that doesn't agree with your take on everything. It's just odd. In a moment, Russian ships are at the location of the drone that went down. Are they going to take this drone and is this going to cause escalation? We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card to spoil your furry family members with a KTAR Paw Picks. If you got a pet and you think it's the coolest, cutest pet on the planet, you can send your Paw Picks to the contest. Submit photos at KTAR.com slash contest. A different pet photo will be randomly drawn at the end of each month and will be named KTAR's Paw Pick Pet of the Month. And it's an Amazon $100 gift card. Do it right now. Um... There was video footage was released of the encounter between a Russian fighter jet uh, dumping fuel to damage and take down a drone, a U.S. drone in international airspace. I want you to hear a little bit of this because Russia denies hitting this, but it's an interesting uh, dynamic of what happened. A U.S. Air Force official said they do not think the pilot hit the drone on purpose, saying the Russian pilot was simply incompetent and flat-out dumb. Despite the video evidence, Russia denies the fighter jet collided with the drone, but is now searching the area where it crashed. An official telling ABC News the Russians have recovered some pieces, but Joint Chiefs Chairman Milley says he is not worried. It probably broke up. Uh, There's probably not a lot to recover, frankly. So there's video footage because there's cameras on the drone. So there are a couple of passes. If you haven't seen the video, it's pretty compelling. I watched it this morning. The video of this Russian fighter jet that is flying over the top of this U.S. drone and what it is doing is it's dumping fuel trying to damage the drone. And there's a part in it where I think a second or a third pass by the Russian jet, um, the camera feed goes off for a couple of seconds. And when it comes back on, there is obvious damage to the propeller on the drone. It was taken down, crashed into the ocean. And um, right now, the concern is, are they going to reverse engineer it? What are they going to do? But according to Martha Raddatz here from ABC News, that the information on the drone was dumped. The drone operators did have some control over the drone even after the collision, and they were able to remotely scrub the sensitive material. And even if the Russians recover a good portion of it, it will be inoperable. The uh, the interesting thing about this is listen to how this this story has changed over the last few days. Uh, Russia blamed the U.S. and said that the U.S. was being the drone was being used aggressively. And I'm I'm um, uh, uh, this is not a quote. I'm uh, going by the things I read. They blame the U.S. for this. They told the world that the U.S. needs to stop its aggression. Um, and I guarantee you that the propaganda that's being told to their people. 
uh, is that the Americans were aggressive and that they took down as because they're so much more sophisticated and militarily capable than we are. They took down the U.S. drone that was threatening. And now all of a sudden, because the footage was salvaged and the footage has been released to the rest of the world, now they're changing their tune and saying, oh, it was just an incompetent, stupid fighter pilot that made a mistake. If you watch the video, there was no mistake. This was absolutely intentional. There's at least two, if not three passes where this jet is trying to get over the top of the drone and dump fuel on it for whatever reason it was releasing fuel and it came in contact with the drone. And you can see while this thing is flying, the drone um, propeller is intact. You can see it. And then after contact is made, after the video link is, is stopped for a few seconds, there is visible damage to the propeller. The reason why I bring this up is Russian ships are now looking for this drone, and they didn't waste any time doing this. What will be the response from the U.S.? And again, I don't always agree with people in the way they do things, but being prepared matters. Um, there's a reason why the all military units train, but the more elite units, all they do is train, train and train and train. And when you look at law enforcement, whether it's you know, SAU or SWAT, whatever you want to call it, when you look at the SWAT teams from the FBI, when you look at the specialized military units, how they work in unison. The training matters because when it's time for the real world, you want to be able to react to everything that you might find because there's never been – and I've been told this by – I've never been in the military um, – that no mission goes 100 percent as planned, that there is improvisation that has to happen and you have to know how to rely on each other. Uh, there's a reason why football teams practice and practice and practice and baseball teams – well. When it comes to the level here of diplomacy, when it comes to the level of what do we do, there is a branch of or there is a an agency in our government, and that is a, a group of people that are tasked with things of this nature. And it's this. Here's a dumb analogy in the media. Um, is morbid as this might sound, a lot of times things are done ahead of time. Uh, when somebody very when the queen passed away. Um, in, in England, her eulogy had been written and video and a video remembrance of her had been done for a very long time before her passing in anticipation. They didn't get alerts that, oh, my gosh, the queen has passed away. Let's write a eulogy and do a video tribute. It was done and ready to go. It's not morbid. It's prepared. There are brand there are people in our government whose job it is. To say, okay, if Russia does this to us, how do we respond? If Russia and China do this to us, how do we respond? If this government is overtaken by rebels, what's our official stance as the U.S.? And they play these scenarios out, war game scenarios and dipl diplomatic scenarios over and over again so that we are prepared. Are we prepared for the aggression we are seeing by the Russians? Are we prepared for what is happening with the alliance that they have formed with the Chinese, with the Saudis, with the Iranians, with the Syrians? What is our plan? Now, I don't expect the president or somebody from the Pentagon to come out and tell everybody in the world what that is. But do we all feel confident that our government is prepared in advance? Or do you think that once this happened, a bunch of people got in a room and thought, well, what do we do now? And I hope that's not the case. I don't believe it is, but let's just pray we have a we're more prepared than that. 
We have the second consecutive month with lower migrant encounters. That is really good news. What are the plans now for the narco terrorists on the border? We'll talk about that next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time. Um, lowest migrant encounter since February of 2021, according to the U.S. Border Patrol. U.S. Customs and Border Protection attributed the continued drop in immigration policies Two immigration policies that were announced in early January. Um, so migrant encounters at the southern border top one million in just five months. We are seeing a reprieve right now. Will that change when Title 42 expires? Overall, what is the policy? There has been a, 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 a there was a conference on the border with members of Congress that was boycotted by Democrats. Um, this is, I guess, the narrative that I've been on this kick in my own mind, and I guess I've been saying it a lot, is there are certain things that all of us should have issues with. And when I, as a Republican, complain about the Democrats, it's just the way it's supposed to be. Nobody cares. My side of the aisle may nod their head. The other side of the aisle gives me the finger. And that's just how it works. Until it's an issue where everybody should be concerned, and at that point, we all should be standing up and saying, and there's power in saying to your side of the aisle, sometimes you're wrong. And in this case, Democrats should be standing up for a multitude of reasons and saying that Democrat legislators that are not going to the border and not taking it seriously are doing the wrong thing. I don't know how that's controversial. To be very honest with you, that to me just seems like common sense. Even the Democrats believe that the border is an issue. They just believe that it should be handled differently than the Republicans do. But what we're seeing with fentanyl in this country, we now know about this the, the murders that just happened on the other side of the border, three missing women, more things going on, um, you know, the, the dangers that this administration and the American governor, government are saying about Mexico. The border is a big issue. And so why aren't we in unison saying we may disagree on what the solutions are, but the problem is we're getting closer to an election year. And they it seems like we're never out of the election cycle. So are you going to give the Republicans a win on this? You can't do that. That's going to be bad for us in 2024. When did it ever – why isn't it reasonable to say what's good for America? I'm certainly not perfect. I'm far from perfect. I am um, – I, I listen, there's nobody more critical of my flaws than me. But if I'm willing to stand up at times and say I don't agree with my party, they're wrong on this. I don't like the way they're handling this. They shouldn't be focusing on this. They shouldn't be doing this. This is different. We should be – why is it that it's not – do you just believe your side's perfect? This political battle is killing the country. It just is. I'm never going to move away from my principles, and I'm certainly not going to ask you to embrace them. But there are certain issues that are right and wrong, not right and left, and this border issue is one of them. So I just told you, and it's a good thing. Congratulations to the shift in policies of this administration that led to the decreased number of people crossing the border and demanding asylum. Good. That's terrific. Cocaine smuggling and production at a record high since pandemic retreat. We, the issue at the border is shifting, but it's still an issue. Here in Arizona, all of that poison crossing our border. 
I'll tell you, when I see um, Americans involved in human trafficking, I don't care how young they are. When I see Americans being a part of this problem, we have to acknowledge that. We know where the source is. The source of the narco-terrorists, the cartels. That's the source. But we've got participation on our side of the border. Something we need to deal with. But the cartels are the problem. The cartels are creating the poison. The cartels are shipping the poison. The cartels are using human beings, abusing human beings, killing people. They are using terrorist tactics to get more and more money and more and more powerful. And we're doing very little about it. So, yes, I think it's encouraging that the numbers at the border are down. But there's almost a 10-year wait list in New York for people seeking asylum. Ten years now. Ten years. What's going to happen in that 10-year period? What do we do as a nation? We are still wrestling in this country. I hate this. We are still wrestling in this country with what to do with dreamers. It is the biggest example of a flawed immigration system that we have. Border security is non-existent. Look what's happening with the fentanyl. Look what's happening. It is non-existent. It is, our border is controlled. Who comes and what they bring is being controlled by the cartels. But on the immigration portion of this, look, the, the biggest example of the flaws in our system, we can't get it right for the dreamers. We haven't figured out what to do with them yet legislatively, and we are creating another generation just like that. If there's a 10-year backlog in any jurisdiction, what's going to happen in 10 years? If you come here as a 20-year-old, you're a young man, you come here at 20 years old, you're allowed to stay while your asylum claim goes through the process, what happens between 20 and 30? What are you going to do? You know, you're going to start a family, you're going to maybe start a business, you're going to do all of these other things, and then in 10 years, we're going to say to you, well, now it's time for your case, your asylum claim is unfounded, you have to leave. And you say, I'm married, I've got kids, I can't leave. It is, it's, and, and the worst part about this, again, we're focusing on sometimes the wrong people. Imagine someone that comes to this country legitimately, uh, someone that comes here with a legitimate asylum claim. And they've got to wait 10 years to be told, yep, you're right. You're entitled to asylum in our country. I I just find that to be sad. And that, to me, is the most frustrating part, that this political divide in our country is so deep that we can't come together even for the issues that are basic to Americanism. It's not Republican and Democrat. These are human beings. Some of these people have no business here, and they're clogging up a system that should be there for legitimate asylum seekers. We need to get rid of them faster. We need to prevent them from coming. We need to take away the incentives that bring them here for illegitimate reasons. Then we have to have a system in place that gives more legitimate ways for people to come to this country and embrace it and be embraced by it. None of it gets done because nobody gives any ground. And it just gets frustrating. As a citizen, complain, complain, complain. And I do a lot of it. But as a citizen, it is frustrating to see what's happening. And and what's going to happen? Title 42 is getting ready to expire. Are we going to see another uptick? We certainly aren't going to see a slowdown in the fentanyl production and importation of it as long as Americans are willing to bring it in and take it. And as long as the cartels know they can make billions of dollars from it. Um. 
I want to go back to I'm gonna I'm gonna dovetail from this to the issue of capital punishment because the governor of Arizona is now made national news by saying that although a an execution warrant has been issued, she has no legal um, requirement to carry it out, and she's not going to. It's the reason why she's not going to. That's a big part of this story. We'll talk about all of it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Let me start with a different question on this topic when it comes to capital punishment. Is the death penalty a deterrent if it's used properly? Do you think it's a deterrent? Is that the intent of the death penalty? Um, a lot of these questions, we have. there's a moral issue here. There's a moral issue. Should we be taking the life? Is a life for a life morally okay? If we say it's wrong to kill someone, should we then kill someone for killing someone? These are moral questions we should wrestle with. Um, if you are a proponent of, of uh, capital punishment, is it used as a deterrent? Because that's one of the, the, the comments made by people that don't like capital punishment is they say it's not a deterrent. Well – then, then the response is, well, I guarantee you that that murderer will never kill, any, kill anybody again. Is it purely justice? Some people call it revenge. Is it justice? You took a life in a heinous way, and as a society, we've decided that that means you're, we're going to take yours from you. We're not going to do it in the same heinous way you did it, but you've lost your life because you've taken a life. I think these are valid questions because the governor of Arizona um, is against capital punishment. She is not a proponent of the death penalty. And so and so then let's go a little further, because as a governor, there is great power and great flexibility within the executive branch. Now, there's limits, just like in our Constitution, there are limits in the separation of powers. There was brilliant brilliance in our founding fathers, making sure that no one person or group had supreme power. So there is great power in the state legislature. I would say the greatest power in our, sta- in our state comes from the House of Representatives. It holds the purse strings. But it is a group of people. It's not an individual, not even the Speaker of the House, who has great power as an individual individual, but they don't make all the decisions. In the executive branch, one person has veto power, but they also don't necessarily have unilateral power to make changes when they want to. There's a legislative process. Is the governor within her rights in saying that just because the Supreme Court issued a warrant for an execution doesn't mean that I have to carry it out? And we're going to find out. And then we're going to find out where it goes from there because there's so many things that are that go on here. The governor does not believe in capital punishment. Does that mean as governor – because there's a lot of things that where the governor says, I don't believe in this, so I don't have to do that, so we're not going to do that as long as I'm governor. There's flexibility there. There's discretion. Police officers have a lot of discretion in the things they do. And a lot of times when dealing with things that are not a major issue, police officers will use discretion in how they handle a traffic stop. You get pulled over for doing criminal speed, 20 miles an hour over the speed limit or more, um, they could take you to jail. Or they could write you a ticket for criminal speed where you have to appear in court. Or they could knock the speed down. And make it less than that where you just have to pay a fine or go to school or they could issue you a warning. It's all at their discretion. 
based on their training and how that traffic stop is handled. So we know the governor's got discretion. Does this fit in there? Should it? Because will this be a litmus test for the next governor? Or even for the next time a governor is elected in 2026? Will there be a time next time around where this becomes a major issue? It's on the books as a law. Now, I don't know the answer to that. I'm I'm asking questions as they pop into my mind. But the governor and the new head of the prison system in Arizona say that Arizona lacks knowledge and expertise to conduct executions. That's a quote. Knowledge and expertise. Well, they've been doing it for a long time. So you are going to make a statement, and I believe it is based on your desire to end capital punishment. Okay, you're the governor. You have a right to your opinion. Do you have a right to stop doing it? You mirror that with the public sentiment about violent crime. And I think that they are they're going to have a headwind here. I think they are fighting an uphill battle. People in Arizona and across this country are more and more upset about the soft treatment for violent criminals. There is pushback in what are known as very progressive places. There are progressive cities, progressive counties, progressive states. The vast majority of cities, major cities, um, and I don't know where the exceptions are, but the vast majority of major cities are run by Democrats. It is Democrat run. States are red. Cities are blue. Phoenix is the same way. Tucson, Flagstaff. But we see here in the Phoenix City Council a former deputy police chief just elected to the city council. Now I don't know his overall politics. Don't I don't know I don't know the former chief. But I know that he was in law enforcement for over 30 years. That seems to be a big shift on the city council from the attitude they've had based on some of their members in the last few years. So a lot of these things aren't red and blue issues. But the general public, and we are seeing more and more people that never owned firearms before buying firearms. And for some people, it's because they're afraid the right to buy certain firearms may go away. To other people, it's because they don't feel safe in their neighborhoods and in their homes, and they don't believe that there are enough police officers to protect them. And they want the ability to protect themselves if it ever comes to that. I say amen to that. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what neighborhood you live in. If you don't feel safe, you should feel safe. You should be able to protect yourself. But the, the governor is making a stand over let's, on the issue as a whole, but specifically about an inmate that wants to be executed for his crimes. He's asked to be transferred to Texas, which it can, can't happen, but they carry out the death penalty there. And so this is an uphill battle. In the end, who will win? And those, those moral questions are one we should always wrestle with. You know, what we're going to do just after 11 o'clock is I want to touch back on the education topic. It seems to have social media going. Um, protesters showed up at the Capitol yesterday about the teacher hotline um, or educator hotline for people that want to complain. I'll give you details next.